0: This is one of the most important messages I'll ever bring. It is, it is the catalyst for change. Without it, nothing will happen. No matter how much we've learned already, with it, anything you need is possible. So because of that, we're going to need to pray for each other. And uh, so, I know this is kind of different. I want you to pray for the people around you. On your left, on your right. If you're sitting in a place where you have people in front of you and behind you, just You don't have to know their names. You say, Mark, I don't know what they need. Well, I don't even know what I need, but God does. And so here's what's going to be great. You're going to know somebody's praying for you. The percentage of people who need to have something change in their lives is 100, starting with me. And how many of you have discovered you can't do it by yourself? So let's pray. Father. Please don't let this be just another service where we listen to a talk and we go out and we're not changed. By your Holy Spirit, come among us and do great work. Start it in my heart. Answer the prayers of your people who are praying for each other today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Today we come to the end of the series, I wish I could blank. And I can't really believe that we're at the end of it because I think I have about 12 more chapters that I'd like to bring. But we have a new series coming up next week called Desperado. Can't wait for you to hear that. And then right after that, we have a prophecy series called Clash of Dynasties 3. There are two things that are eating on me, as I've just already hinted at. There's so many more things that I would love to say. But there's a bigger issue that's on my mind today and I, I know from the beginning as i just shared with you this was always to be the most important message and when i sketched out the series months ago i wanted it to be the first message but i struggle with that and i settled on making it the last one because i wanted you to have the tools of change first if this happens to be your first week at new spring for the series let me just kind of let you know that all this series has been about changes that need to be in our lives. I wish I could blank. Just whatever it is we wish we could add as an improvement or a change. That's what goes in the blank. That's what this series has been about. But in the past, I've tended to focus on specific issues. Like one week would be dedicated to finances. One week would be dedicated to relationships. But instead of that this time, I felt the need to just bring you the tools of to change. You would know what needed to be changed. Well, <clears throat> We've talked about those tools already. Week one, I talked about culture, how that most people fail because they try to have an individual solution for every problem, and they never develop a culture of change. They never become a change agent. In week two, I talked about the importance of knowing the difference between what you can and can't change. Remember we said that most of our anxiety is over stuff, well, that we can't change. I said, if you have anxiety over something you can change, that's not anxiety, that's just laziness. And then week three, it was my way of warming up to this talk because I talked about how tweaking always fails. And then last week, Jonathan talked to you in a wonderful message about staying power. But there's no doubt about it. There's no getting around it. Today is the make or break point. Somebody could be listening to, these, to this message today and you say, Mark, <clears throat> it's February and I haven't even started yet. That's Okay. It'd be better to start in February than end in February like most people do with their New Year's resolutions. So here it is. This is the most important point of the series, and it is the make or break point for any serious change that needs to happen in our lives. The title of today's message is Don't Be Afraid of Radical. Because in order to have whatever is in your blank, you're going to have to get radical to see it happen. Now, those of you that are a little more perceptive will notice that from the very beginning, I put the word radical in quotation marks. And that's because, and this is really what this whole message is about, those steps that lead to real change aren't really radical. They just feel radical. The Bible tells us, and we just had a song about this a few moments ago. The Bible tells us that those of us who are Christ followers have two natures in us. If you were to put this in modern terms, we have two operating systems. We have the system that we inherited at birth from Adam, and it is a flawed, broken nature. It is a nature that's predisposed toward doing wrong. Have you ever discovered that you don't have to really think real carefully about doing something wrong? It just sort of comes naturally to us. Every parent in the room knows that you don't have to teach your little boy or little girl to lie. I mean, you don't have to like set them down and say, now listen, when you get in trouble, you could have consequences to that, so why not invent a story that keeps you out of trouble? We don't have to do that. I mean, we just have this bent, broken nature that the Bible calls the flesh. But when you accept Jesus Christ as a believer, you get a brand new operating system that the Bible calls the Spirit, and it actually is the Spirit of God living within you. The challenge is every Christ follower knows, and actually every person who's not a Christ follower, you know it from watching our lives. We don't lose that old bent, broken nature when Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit to live in our lives. We have both things going on at the same time, and we get into this head-butting battle. So consequently, you and I are going to have to deal with the old nature and the new nature being present at the same time, which is why this is what death is about. I mean, the Bible tells us that when we die, it's not the end of existence. It's not the cosmic stop sign. It's just we lose that old nature, or if Jesus comes in the rapture, and as I said a few moments ago, I'm starting a series on prophecy leading up to Easter this year called the Clash of Dynasties Three, the Easter prophecy. This is why when Jesus comes back in the rapture, those of us who are alive at the time, according to 1 Corinthians 15, we will have to be, and here's the word the Bible uses, changed in order to drop off that old nature and get the new one. So right now we're living in a world with two natures. Now here we go, I'm gonna give you four steps to this message, and here's the first one. Real change rarely happens because the part of us that's flawed and broken believes, drum roll. 11.15, they do the drum roll. (laughs) There you go, you guys are good. Real change rarely happens because the part of us that's flawed and broken believes that reasonable is radical and radical is reasonable. This is just about the oldest story in the world. If you go back to the very book of Genesis, when this all got started, God gave instructions to our first parents. And here's what he said. He said, you must, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay? That's God's plan. You can have every fruit from every tree, except one. Reasonable? Sure. Sure. I mean, after all, it would be radical to eat from the one tree God said not to eat from because God said at the moment you do, you're not only going to know good, you're going to know the dark side too. And all this junk that's in our world today, hatred, racism, abuse, unkindness, all that, you're going to know that side too. And God's like, I don't want you to know the dark side. Just leave that tree alone. So God's instructions. We're very reasonable. You can have every tree in the garden, just leave the one alone. It would be radical to eat that one tree. But watch what happens. Satan comes along and he talks to our first mother and she's trying to explain to him God's reasonable plan. She said, of course, we may eat from every, tree, every fruit of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of, of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Eve was saying, what God has asked us to do is reasonable. All the trees we can have, one tree we can't. It's reasonable. Now watch Satan. Satan said, you won't die. In other words, it's not radical to eat from that tree that God told you not to eat from. And then God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So Satan came along, and he flipped it. Remember, God said you can have all the trees except one, eat from the one, you will die. Reasonable to enjoy them all? Sure. Radical to eat from the one God said not to eat from? Sure. Sure. But as I said, Satan came along and flipped it. Satan said, you know, reasonable to eat from all of them except one, that's radical. And eat from the one God said will kill you, that's reasonable. And it's been the same way for all these thousands of years. You and I have an old nature, and it resonates with the message that what's reasonable is radical, and what's radical is reasonable. Many of us have felt that already in this series. Week one, I introduced the series to you. I wish I could blank. And you, many of you filled in a little piece of paper, or at least you did it in your mind. I wish I could be on time. I wish I could save money. I wish I could be healthier. I wish I could have a better relationship with my wife or my kids. I wish I could pray more. I mean, we, we put things in our blank and you heard the three verses that I told you about week one that we'd talk about. And that first one made you believe that all things were possible because it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But once you started exploring what real change would take, you may have said, but if I did what I need to do, it would be radical. And maybe even somebody in your family said, That'd be radical. Maybe, maybe your husband, when you went home and you said, you know, here's what's in my blank, and here's what I'm going to need to do to make this change, and he said, you know what, that, that's just too radical. Or maybe the friends that you hang with told you it's just too radical. Well, maybe it's time for us to ask, is it possible that what feels radical is really reasonable, and what feels reasonable to me is really radical? Let's take something simple. Nutrition. You're like, oh, Mark, I didn't come to church to hear about that. I came to church to hear about spiritual things. Well, the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, anyway, let's just take it because it's easy and it's something that we all deal with. Did you know there's actually something called the Standard American Diet? Strange, isn't it? Standard American Diet. The acronym for it is S.A.D. Well, the standard american diet is sad well anyway I, I i just in my reading and i read a lot of different stuff i came across a guy named caldwell esselstyn caldwell esselstyn is his uh, longtime surgeon doctor at cleveland clinic but sometime you know he's back in his career he started asking the question what would happen if we learned how to avoid surgery and so he got really interested in nutrition and, and I'm not pushing his program today. I mean, that's, that's something way over my head, but he really began to teach nutrition. In fact, he advised president Clinton after president Clinton had his heart attack and the incoming mayor of New York city, Eric Adams, you know, he, uh, Esselstyn worked with him and he switched the program because Adams had been diagnosed with diabetes. And within six months he had lost 30 pounds, reversed his diabetes Reduced his blood pressure and cholesterol to a healthy healthy level. Enough to lower his risk of heart disease and stroke. Again, I'm not hyping his program. I just want you to know this is an interesting guy because he's a surgeon. And yet at the same time, he was trying to teach people how to avoid surgery. But anyway, oftentimes his, his nutritional program is called extreme. There are people that are like, well, I don't want to change what I eat too much. If I did, that would be extreme. Now, all I want to do is borrow his comment here because it serves the point that we're making today. Dr. Esselstyn said a half million people in this country this year will have to have the front half of their body divided, meaning their sternum will have to be cracked and wired back together, their heart exposed, then veins will be taken from their legs, sewed onto their heart. And Dr. Esselstyn said some people would call that extreme. You see what I'm saying? In other words, When people think about adopting his nutrition, oh, that's too extreme. I would have to give up these foods. That's too extreme. And yet he's explaining open heart surgery and he's saying that would be extreme. And it's the whole point of this message. We are groomed to believe that what's reasonable is radical and what's actually radical is reasonable. I mean, think about the fast food commercials that we watch. I mean, we're watching a lot of football this time of year. You watch the fast food commercials. What, they're, they're presenting food to us that's really radical and killing us, and yet it's like it's reasonable to do this. You know, you go, I mentioned this earlier in the series. You go to a restaurant, they put, and you say, Mark, we're going to go out to eat after the service. You didn't have to say this. But they put a portion in front of you that could feed a family of eight. We're being groomed to believe nutritionally Though what's reasonable is radical, and what's radical is reasonable. Okay, enough of that. Except to say, if we're going to change, something has to change, and it's right here. Our thinking has to change. Well, that takes me to the second step. The second step of today's talk is the title, Don't Be Afraid of Radical." If it's a change for good, it's not radical anyway. It just feels radical. I want you to look at the third verse of the three that I gave you at the beginning of this series. God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, oftentimes when we look at what real change will entail, we'll go right up to it and like, oh, well, I can't do that. But the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. Okay, you don't need to answer me, but you do need to answer yourself. I wish I could blank. What's in your blank? Is it physical? I got some stuff in my blank that's physical. Is it financial? Is it spiritual? Does it have to do with your emotional health? Maybe it has to do with relationships. Here's the thing. When I look at my blank, I wish I could hear blank. I have to understand my old thinking is not going to get me there. My old thinking is why I am where I am. I need new thinking. See, that's, that goes back to message three, because oftentimes we human beings believe I just need to tweak my old thinking. The problem is the old thinking. Tweaking it will be like putting perfume on something that stinks. In other words, my old thinking got me where I am. I've got to have new thing. The Bible talks about this. This is the first sermon I ever brought. I was 16 years old. I brought it on New Year's Eve, 1972, and I spoke from this text. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Why? Because this says radical is reasonable and reasonable is radical. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the re... Look at the middle word. new of our mind. And that's why in order to have real change, we have to have our minds changed to think the way God teaches us to think in his word? Here's one of the most important concepts I can share with us. In first Peter chapter one, verse 13, Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay. You Bible students. What, what occupation was Peter before he accepted Christ? His fishermen. Well, in those days, everybody wore long robes like dashikis. And so, what happened a lot of times, you know, if you, had, if you had to do something where you had to run or you really had to be able to be physically active, you would have to cinch up or gird up that road so that it wouldn't flow around your feet and trip you up. Now, it's interesting because Peter's using that term here when it comes to our thinking. Peter's like, cinch up your thinking. And this is one of the, this is one of the most astounding change concepts to 21st century America. You do not have to go where your mind thinks you need to go. Some people have the idea, I need to just think about whatever comes into my mind. Americans are more careful about where they park their car than where they park their brains. And Peter's like, don't, don't think like that. You've got to grab hold of your thinking. You can't just go wherever your thoughts flip. I'm, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm just going to admit this about myself. When I say I wish I could blank, I need to be honest about something. In almost every one of those areas where I say I would like to change, I really haven't given it everything I've got. Too many times it's like, well, if it was easy, I'd do it. You know, if somebody would do the thinking for me, but I have to be honest. I mean, whatever needs to change in my life and a lot of stuff does need to change, I really haven't given it everything I've gotten. See, because I'm convinced that would be radical. I want you to listen to a verse. This is from the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 31. One of the greatest change agent kings that Judah ever had was a guy named Hezekiah. I want you to look at the language of this verse. Hezekiah did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and, hello, New Spring, worked wholeheartedly. And then look at the next two words. And so he prospered. See, here's the thing. My old nature wants to do a half-baked job and then say, and so Mark had everything he wanted. You know, Mark only gave half an attempt and so he prospered. <laughs> Life doesn't work that way. We have to get radical if we want to see change happen in our life. All right, step one, get clear on what's reasonable and radical. Step two, don't be afraid of what feels radical. Take charge of your thinking and now you're ready for the most powerful strategic step you can take in order to change. Okay, look at your blank. I wish I could blank. And now I want you to think about something else. Be honest. You don't need to tell anybody but you and the Lord. What is it? That keeps you from having what's in that blank I wish I could save money okay what is it that keeps you from having that? I wish I could get my nutrition and health under control okay what keeps you from having that I want mean, you think about those two things this is the most important strategic step you'll ever have for change you have to want something more than whatever's causing the status quo this is why tweaking does not work See, the problem is, whatever's broken in our life, we tend, our old nature tends to think we want it, but we have to want something more. (laughs) I need to share a story from my life, and I'm not comfortable with it, but I do try to be very transparent with you, and it's not that I'm focusing or wanting anyone to focus on myself. Lord knows I really don't want to tell the story, (laughs) but I want you to understand that I fight the same battles that you do. I don't get a discount because I'm a preacher. I have to obey just like you do. And the other reason why, if God has shown me something and I don't share it with you, I think it's ministerial malpractice. And so I'm about to share a story with you that I've never shared fully, and I'm not comfortable doing it. Every once in a while, I want to tell the tech team, can you just tape this one time and then play the video for the other services? Some of you who go way back in time will remember the first part of this. In October of 2010, I had just finished delivering a message in a graduation. And as I was sitting out there in the seats after I was finished, there was a song that was being sung. Something happened I'd never had experienced before. I started having an interruption to my vision. It was like a flashing light in the middle of my vision and I lost some of my sight. And then as that light light began to move and it started to move off to the side and I thought, it's over, great, great, whatever it is. But by the time I got back in my car, I realized I couldn't think very clearly and I couldn't say words I wanted to say. By the time I got back home in Andover, I could not remember my granddaughter's names. Well, you can guess what you would think was happening to me. But after a while, it all passed and memory came back. I was able to talk just fine. I thought, well, it's kind of a glitch. I should have gone to the doctor. Every guy in the room knows about that. Like, well, I'll be okay. And then it happened again. But for, for, most, for the most part, it happened when I was at home. So it wasn't like a real critical problem. I mean, the, the thing about not being able to say words and not being able to think clearly, you know, it, it's one of those things, as long as you're home and you're in a recliner, you're like, okay, it's going to pass. But I remember the first time it happened in church. And I kind of covered up for it that day. I just said, "Um, I'm going to step out and they're going to play the video. But a couple years later, it really did hit in a big way. I was up here on stage and I got the lights and I knew it was coming. And I thought, well, I'll maybe just be able to finish the sermon. And I can't even begin to tell you what it's like. Can you imagine standing in front of a group of people and all of a sudden you can't think clearly and you can't say certain words? You try to say a word and another word comes out with television cameras watching you? So I slowed down and I tried to form every word and I never will forget, I stood here and I couldn't form the word church. And so I said to the audience in that particular service, I said, I'm going to have, I'm not feeling well. I'm gonna have to step to my office. They're gonna play the rest of the video from a previous service. We're blessed here at New Spring. We have many, many doctors who attend our services. By the time I got back to my office, there were doctors all over my office. (laughs) <laughs> A couple of them were taking off their aprons from the coffee shop. I told Sherry, no wonder your coffee's so good. Your baristas are surgeons. <laughs> Great doctor here, good friend of mine. Said, Mark, what are your symptoms? And I told him, and he kind of smiled. And he said, you have, you have silent migraines. And that's when I became introduced to what they are sometimes they're called ocular migraines sometimes they're called migraines with aura. But it's it's just the way they work. You get this aura, you get this visual disturbance and it kind of slips out of the way and then some people like me, it'll almost you'll almost have stroke-like symptoms and then the next day you'll just be exhausted. Well, I begin to talk to doctors about it. And they said, well, it is, these are ocular migraines, but you're going to have to figure out what triggers them. For all of you who deal with migraines, and the reason why these are called silent, there's no headache with it. But for those of you who do have migraines, you know, one of the toughest challenges is to figure out what you're doing that's triggering it. And so years passed by until 2016. This is six years of having them. I was on stage. I was speaking. And I had one of those events again. And I had to get off stage. But it was a particularly bad one. And just so that you will know how certifiably crazy I am. The next day, I was supposed to speak in Charlotte, North Carolina for a big event. You know, they brought in, a you know, well-known singing group. And I was supposed to speak that had me on the calendar forever. And here I am, I'm in the airport in Chicago and I still can't remember. And that night, that Monday night, I still wasn't quite right. Can you imagine sitting right here and a few moments they're going to call me up to speak. And I'm like, here I am speaking to this great conference. And I don't even know if I'm going to be able to speak. What I didn't know is that Mary Alice had said enough and she'd been conspiring with my doctor to get me in to be looked at neurologically okay we'll stop the story right there i need to let you know about something that <laughs> where well, this is hard to tell you i drank diet soda but not like most people do i didn't drink water i mean if you had lunch with me at a restaurant i'd probably go through eight glasses of diet soda with no ice I was so well known for it that when I would go to speak somewhere, I would go to my hotel room and the refrigerator in my hotel room would be filled with diet soda. And Mary Ellen said, pleaded with me for years. You got to get off that. It's killing you. And I would say to her, no. And then she would start telling me about articles that she had read about some of the uh, ingredients. And I would say, that's Internet science. That's junk science. (laughs) You know what? I thought I couldn't do it. If you had backed me into a corner in 2016 and you would say to me, Mark, what is the one habit in your life you cannot give up? It would be that. And again, I'm not, for those, some of you are freaking out like I drink dot soda. You don't understand. I drink gallons of it every day. But it was that same week where I had that real problem in 2016. And I was just reading and I happened to come across an article from a major trustworthy medical science community that said with some people, the chemicals in diet soda, particular diet sodas can interact with the brain chemistry and cause ocular migraines. I remember holding up the bottle to Mary Alice. We were about to fly to California and I said that's it. And I'm happy to tell you that's been well six years ago and I've never had one again. I'm I'm honest with you. If, If someone had a polygraph on me right now, I would pass it with flying colors. I did not believe I could ever give up that habit. And yet, all it took was for me to want something more. I want to do what God called me to do. And I said to myself, if something can take me off stage while I'm communicating God's truth, it has to go. And here's the deal. Whatever it is that you're thinking you can't do, You will never get there by tweaking. You will never do it. You'll never do it by cutting back. You'll have to want something more. If something's broken in your marriage and you know what to do about it, but it's radical, you got to want something more than what you feel like doing, what you feel like saying, what you feel like eating, what you feel like spending. You have to want something more. Okay, let's go to step four. When we're backward on what's radical and reasonable, we believe what's reasonable is radical. And we look at what's in our blank and we say to ourselves, if it weren't so radical, I would do something about it. For instance, there's a guy here and you're, you're hooked on porn. You say, I'm not really hooked, <laughs> but you're in it all the time. And, 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 you know, you, you, you could give your wife your passwords. Or maybe you gave your wife your passwords, but you discovered a workaround. But here's the deal. You could get rid of the Internet. Oh, I could never do that. Everybody's got to have the Internet. That would be too radical. Although the porn is threatening every healthy relationship in your life, And it's devastating to your spiritual life. But you're like, you know, I could never... Getting rid of the internet would just be too radical. No, no, no. Radical is screwing up every relationship in your life and having a dark spiritual relationship with God. Somebody here is drinking too much. And you know what to do about it. But you say, you know what? If I were to stop doing this, it would be too radical. I mean... How would I hang with my friends? And on top of that, my friends are my friends because we drink together and they might drop me. and would be radical. I'm talking to somebody here, I'm talking to a lady here today. And your dating standards are not good. And you know that you're dating people that bring hurt into your life. And you need to adopt different Standards. You need to adopt standards that say, I'm, I'm only going to date someone who respects me. I'm only going to date someone who not only calls himself a Christian, but actually lives out the Christian life and treats me with grace. And I watch how he treats other people. And I'm saying that he treats other people kindly and that he's, he's not a me first kind of person. And, and you know that adopting new standards would be a great thing. But you're saying to yourself, that would be too radical. I mean, I know he does this, but, and we start convincing ourselves that it's Okay. But you're saying it would be too radical to adopt those standards so you keep being vulnerable to destructive people, which sounds radical to me. Doctor already said your last physical, I'm worried about some of your numbers. You're kind of borderline. Borderline hypertension, borderline diabetes, I'm just kind of concerned. And you know, you know what's killing you. But healthy nutrition just seems too radical. And junk food disease and dying early feels reasonable. You no, know, whatever it is. If we're backward on radical and reasonable, we look at change and we say, too radical. And although we probably don't admit it, we say to ourselves, and here's the thing, and I'll close with this. We tend to come to this place where we say, I can't do it. I should do it. It would be good. It would be nice if I did this, but I can't do it because in order to get from here to there, I would have to do something that's too radical. But when we get straight on radical and reasonable, we realize step four, and that is our statement isn't, I can't change. We say, I can't can't not change. Can't's a powerful word. Have you ever noticed that can't's the most powerful word in negotiation? I don't know how many of you have to negotiate, but especially if you're buying something, let's just say you're buying an automobile and you go to the dealer and the dealer is saying, this car is great. it costs this, and you're like, well, I just don't, I can't do that. And, and, and he starts saying, but it's worth it. And you're like, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. You know, I can argue about whether I should or shouldn't do something, but I can't argue about can't. Can't's a powerful word. It's the most powerful word in negotiation. When you look at what's in your blank today, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, financial, we need to look at whatever needs to happen and say, doing the right thing isn't radical, it's reasonable, and I can't not change. Now, I want to give you the strongest thing, as far as I know, Jesus ever said. I almost didn't give you this text because you almost have to have some context for it, but let me just go ahead and read it to you and for shock value, and then I'll, I'll explain it. Every once in a while, we, we have some progressive Christians who say, well, I don't want to go with the stuff that's in the Old Testament, which obviously we're not living under the Old Covenant, but it's like, I only go with the words of Jesus. I'm like, it's the words of Jesus that keep me up at night. (laughs) Most of the time when I hear that, I'm like, you haven't read them. I'm telling, I mean, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody, more graphically. Yeah, so what Jesus said keeps me up. But here's what he said. I just, don't, don't freak out when you hear this. I'll explain it in a second. If your right eye causes you to sin, poke it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to end up in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off, throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I wanna be real clear on this. Nobody was ever encouraged to throw the right eye away and chop off their hand and throw it away. Jesus is just simply saying, listen, when it comes to going to heaven, no excuses. I mean, it's a free gift. I mean, but there are people like, well, I can't. And Jesus is saying, look, whatever, whatever you're using for an excuse, you need to understand it's not that you can't do it, it's that you can't not do it. I will never know what you do unless you want me to know. But for four weeks, five weeks now, we've looked at change and we've looked at a simple statement i wish i could blank and the reason we wish we could because we know it's the right thing and we know it's good and healthy for us but our nature is we accept excuses mine does your dot yours does we got to just say i can't not change I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to say whatever it takes for this change to happen. I'm not giving myself a pass anymore. I'm not giving myself an excuse. I can't not change. You'll be surprised at how powerful these four steps are. Well, I'm out of time. Can I have two more minutes, please? Please. How can I finish this message without going back to what Jesus was talking about? What Jesus was talking about here was going to heaven. And God's way of going to heaven is a free gift. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world. I recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt. Yes, I do have this flawed, broken nature that's bent the wrong direction. And because of that, I've got a whole rap sheet of sin that's in my life that I can't take care of. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross to pay for our sin. And the blood that came out of his body satisfied the debt that we owe. Three days later, he walked out of his grave, put an offer on the table that says, whoever believes can be saved and forgiven. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Don't let anything get in the way of going to heaven. Your eye, your hand, nothing can be worth you missing heaven for So before I leave stage today, I just wanna give you an opportunity. If you've never made this decision, if you've never made this choice, trust me, you don't need need your eye or your right hand. All you need is a yes to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm gonna pray this prayer slowly, and if you want to, you can say it with me. These aren't magic words. These are just words that say yes to God. But if you like, you can pray it with me. If you're watching in North Auditorium, you can pray it with me. If you're watching on television, online, The important thing is that God will hear you pray. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I can't fix myself, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave and because Jesus is alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. I receive you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, God's on the other end of it. I have a gift I want to give you, and it's a box like this. It's out there in the lobby or all around the campus if you're here at New Spring, and one of our audiences. But there's a Bible in here, a journal, and a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. All you have to do to get it is just text the word PRAY. Take your phone out and text the word PRAY to 97000. When you get back there, they'll have this for you. If you don't have your phone, just go back and say, I pray with Mark. Any info center, you'll see the colors. The colors are the same colors as the box. Well, thanks for being here. God bless. We start Desperado next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.